Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. When our blessed lady came to Fatima a hundred years ago, in June of that year, as she was about to depart, she showed the children her immaculate heart, which they described she was holding in her hand, and it was surrounded by thorns. We think of what that means, surrounded by thorns. Where do these thorns come from? Well, we should not be surprised to find that the thorns, in fact, represent sin, because it is sin that wounds the heart of our Lord, and consequently, necessarily, must wound the heart of his mother. But these thorns have their origin at the very dawn of creation, the moment our forefather, Adam, sinned, at that moment, the thorns began to grow. And we know this simply from the words of God, the Lord God himself, who, after he had punished the serpent on your belly, you will go. After he had punished the woman, your, desi your desire will be for your husband, he will load it over you in childbirth. You will, you will bear children in pain in childbirth. He turned to the man, by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread. And then he said to him, the earth, which up to now has borne you fruit, will now start to bear thorns. So these thorns were a consequence of sin. I didn't sin initially. But then each and every one of us, in our own way, has added to this. But the thorns that first sprang up were only a type, a symbol, if you like, of the real anguish that would result from sin. This anguish, of course, is experienced by our first parents. They were driven out into the world. They could no longer remain in the garden, lest they eat of the tree of life. And then they would suffer for all eternity, because they would live, but always as we live. A life that goes on and on without an end, with pain and anguish and trials and sorrows and griefs, even though there are the occasional spring of joy, of some happiness, a glimmer. But that soon quickly evaporates. No, the Lord in his mercy drove them from the garden and he made a promise. He promised that a woman would come who would crush the head of that serpent who is the source, who was the source, the origin of our sorrows, who has driven us into this valley of tears. And so the Lord himself, our savior, when he began his passion, he is arrested. He is brought before four corrupt judges. 
they hand him over to the soldiers who make mockery of him. And what do they do? They crowned him with thorns. It's no coincidence. It is to remind us that the sufferings of Christ, those thorns, are due to our sins. And so the Savior goes out carrying his cross, his flesh lacerated with the scourges, and his head crowned with thorns. If you want to have some idea of what it feels like, just take a needle and stick it in your forehead, very lightly. And you can then begin to imagine the pain, the kind of pain that the Savior went through. His suffering was for our salvation. But more, his suffering was to show us how much he loved us. All of us, any of us who have been in love, when someone we love suffers, we would gladly take their pain. That's what we call compassion. And the Lord saw us, the Lord in heaven saw us suffering in this valley of tears, and he wanted to take our pain from us. But he would not steal it. No, he would exchange it. He would say, to, he is saying to us, yes, suffering is a consequence of sin. You have sinned, you must suffer. But change that suffering into something valuable. And I will show you how. And so suffering to the extent that the scriptures could say, look, all you who pass by, see if there's any suffering like my suffering. He could say, change your suffering, accept it as a sacrifice for your sins. Share in my suffering. And so our love for him, we are in effect taking, embracing some of that suffering so that we would gladly share in it, if only to ease his suffering. Now, if we, who are sinners, want to do this, how much more his mother? What mother is there who would not gladly take the sufferings of her child on herself so that her child might be eased from its suffering? And so, as we heard in the Gospel, our most blessed lady stood at the cross of Jesus. She stood. In all of her virginal innocence, her non-knowledge of sin. She could say, I have no knowledge of man. She would say even more, I have no knowledge of sin because she was immaculately conceived, conceived without sin. And she stood there, a queen, the queen of sorrows. And she endured the experience the agony of her son's crucifixion. She submitted her will to the divine will. This is what God the Father had decreed. And he had decreed it in all wisdom and all mercy. Justice has to be satisfied. Someone has to pay the price. We have a saying, there's no such thing as a free meal. 
The son himself desired it. A man can have no greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. And so he willingly laid down his life to show the extent of his love. Christ was humbler yet even to accept in death, death on the cross. And he would not spare his mother. He permitted her, he willed her, to be with him. And she would no way be separated from him. Even the worst of criminals has a mother. And when we read the newspapers and we hear of the death of some criminal, no matter how awful the crime he or she has committed is, the mother will say, he was a good boy. Or he was kind. He wasn't all that bad. Because it's the nature of a mother to make excuses for the wrongdoing of her children. But this mother had a son who had done no wrong. On the contrary, a son who had done only good. And she knew why he was suffering. He was suffering to redeem the human race. He was suffering, and we should not forget this, he was suffering above all to redeem her perfectly. Because she was conceived without sin, in light of, in view of, in anticipation of what Christ would do on Calvary. Her immaculate conception wasn't gratis. Christ paid for it with his blood. And as the Lord himself says to each one of us, if you wish to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross every day and follow me. So he says exactly the same thing to his mother. She's not exempt. And she is his perfect disciple. And so she took up, she denied herself this is what God wills, this is what I will. God wants it, I want it too. And so she went to Calvary. What mother can watch her child suffer and suffer such a cruel death? She went to Calvary. She took up her cross on Calvary and she stood. She could do no more than stand there. She could not even remove the spittle from his face or chase the flies away. Remember, he was covered in blood. The flies would come. He could do nothing. He couldn't turn his head because of the thorns and the pain that would result. So he had to bear the flies. And she couldn't even reach to chase them away. And she stood offering his sacrifice for us. Her heart was broken. It had to be. She no doubt recalled the old man Simeon when she had brought her babe some 30 years before. 
a child 40 days old to the temple. And he, the old man took the child and said, you see this child is destined to be a sign that is rejected, cast aside, thrown away, unappreciated, destined to suffer ingratitude and the utmost cruelty. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And for 30 years, the Virgin had to carry that prophecy in her heart. Today we hear of parents who are anguished because of the sufferings of their children, their babies. But imagine carrying that threat. More than a threat, that certainty for 30 years. And now, standing at the cross, it is fulfilled. And her son looks down and he sees her. And what does he do? He breaks her heart even more. <coughs> Woman, behold your son, referring to the disciple. You've had God for your son. I give you a sinner. And her heart was broken so that she could embrace all sinners. There were other women there. We heard Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Salome, and of course Mary Magdalene. Our Lord didn't speak to any of them, but he spoke to her. Because she was, at that moment, giving birth on Calvary to all sinners. All of us were being reborn on Calvary, and she was to be our mother. She had born Christ, the only begotten Son of God, in joy. She had no birth pains when she gave birth to him on that first Christmas night. But now, when she'll become the mother of the human race, the mother of sinners, yes, she would have the utmost grief and pain and anguish and her mothering behold your son her mothering has not stopped but will continue right up until the very last sinner is born that Christ must be that Christ must redeem and we should not be surprised then that she comes to Fatima because she sees the condition the state of the world in which we are living and she wants to remind us again of the suffering by which we have been redeemed. And so she shows the three children her immaculate heart, a heart that has suffered so much, and a heart that is blasphemed. What do we think of a child who insults its mother? Is there a crime? of greater ingratitude. It is unnatural for children to blaspheme their mother. Yet, Our Lady came asking for reparation for those who blaspheme her in five ways. Those who deny her immaculate conception. And we hear it, a woman like any other she is no different. Blasphemy. Those who deny her perpetual virginity. 
It's an insult. The mere fact that Christ could say to the disciple, Behold your mother, and the disciple took her into his own home, is an indication she had no other children to the, according to the flesh. For if she had other children according to the flesh, do you think, and remember the Jewish culture, which we had a high regard for mothers, do you think those other children would have permitted John, a stranger, to take care of their mother? Of course not. Even we would be offended. We would be thought the most ungrateful of children if we permitted someone else, a complete stranger outside of the family, to look after our parents. So no, she was always a virgin, ever virgin. Those who blaspheme her divine maternity, she's not the mother of God, they say. She's not the mother of the human race, they say. They are attacking our Lord himself, denying that Jesus Christ is God. Those who alienate children from her. What happens, how does a mother feel when her child has been kidnapped? Yet this is exactly what is being done. When children are alienated from her whom Christ has given us as our mother. And lastly, those who insult her in her sacred images, which of course itself is madness. Yet, there are people who do this very thing. And they are inspired by the one whose head she is destined to crush. Because there's one creature who hates her above all things, the ancient serpent. And he will pers persecute her and those who belong to her. But to her has been given the privilege, the honor and the glory of crushing his proud head. And so we honor the Immaculate Heart of Mary by offering reparation for these five ways in which she is offended. And we turn to her and ask her to remember us, her children. Her children struggling in this valley of tears and to give us sufficient grace to make reparation today, tonight, tomorrow, and always. Sweet heart of Mary, be our salvation. Sweet heart of Mary, be our salvation. Sweet heart of Mary, be our salvation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.